Welcome to J-Rev Radio. This is Moment of Rage with Jeremiah Harding. Good morning, listeners. It is Wednesday, the 11th of January, 2017, and this is Moment of Rage with Jeremiah Harding. So, this is the first episode of this uh, radio show that I'll be doing for uh, Journalistic Revolution Radio. I've been speaking with uh, the people who run the site for a while now, and uh, we decided uh, that it would be mutually beneficial for me to uh, start this radio show here, bring my unique perspective to this uh, to this uh, website, and also uh, to broadcast what I do here and elsewhere. Uh, everywhere across the internet. Uh, I'm of the belief that it is best to have your message in as many different places as possible because it reaches more audiences and more audiences equal more ears and more ears equal more people who can say these things, you know, if they're in a conversation in a coffee shop or something. Uh, I'm Jeremiah Harding, as you may have guessed. 
I'm a Southern California resident, and I have been anarchist for about five years. Uh, I'm a pessimist uh, and a cynic, and those are normally considered sort of dirty words. And a little bit later, I'll be getting into the meat of why those terms have been marks of shame throughout a lot of history. But the primary theme you should look forward to every week is going to be me venting, because I'm pretty good at that. Uh, I've been doing it uh, with my friends for a very long time, and uh, with other people, sort of online tweets, Facebook posts, comments, things like that. And I've written a few articles, which I'm going to start getting uh, a much faster pace on, and much more reliable. But primarily, I've got a lot of ideas that, uh, for some reason, a lot of people think are pretty decent. So, I'm going to uh, do my best to put those into some sort of coherent format for you guys, so that it sounds like less like the ramblings of an insane person, and more like, hey, yeah, this is something that I could listen to while working out, or, you know, going to the coffee shop or something, I don't know. Whatever people do these days, I don't really pay attention. Now, this week, unfortunately, I actually came down with a sinus infection yesterday, so if I sound a little bit, like, off, that's why. Um, but I couldn't avoid doing this today because of a little stuffed-up nose, so um, the show must go on, and I will. But to give listeners an idea of what to expect if they tune in, which, by the way, this show will be a pre-recorded show uh, done every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the show will basically be comprised of 30 minutes of whatever music I have going and, like, a rant or, like, some idea or a series of ideas, and then 15 minutes of news, the news that I think is interesting or really relevant to, to how things have been shaping up lately, which, given the soon-to-be exchange of power from one dynasty to the next, one connected corrupt individual handing the reins over to another connected person who will totally not fuck it up this time and totally not make it any worse for the common man, just as literally all presidencies have before it, the news over the next several months should be interesting to say the least and it should give me plenty of material to make both myself and anyone listening to what I have to say about it pretty fucking angry. Now, maybe you're wondering why the angry approach, because I've been asked this quite a lot. Like, the angry approach, uh, I've been told, puts people off in a lot of ways. Well, the angry approach is based on my understanding of the world, and my understanding, albeit from a limited perspective, given the fact that I'm still 24, and given the fact that I'm still just a tiny speck of dust in the broad spectrum of history, 
essentially boils down to the idea that everything sucks and it's all getting worse and every part of it that's getting worse is the responsibility of some person, some human being who could think their way through a situation better and not fuck it up so much for everybody down the line. I think society is far too tolerant and accepting of the flaws that could easily cause more major concerns down the line, and that if things are to improve, we need to be harder on ourselves and others, not easier. In order to explain that recently, I made an image for my Instagram and my Twitter with the text that read, It is impossible to make the world better. Any wrong contributes to a greater pool of wrongs. Instead, make it better than it could be. And I thought that this was fine. Uh, I thought that this elucidated my idea pretty well. But apparently it still needed a bit of explanation, because a couple of people, one of whom blocked me, um, said that it didn't make sense. So I made a second tweet uh, for Twitter, and I said that a more direct version is, The world is bad. It's getting worse. You can't stop it. You can only refrain from hastening its downfall. Now, I really do believe this. I believe that the world is so much more bad than it is good at this particular point. Not that it couldn't be better in the long run, maybe, if a lot was changed, an improbable amount. But it's my understanding that there are are so many more obstacles than successes. So much more that can go wrong than goes right. And I think that people in their pursuit of positivity underestimate this. And they say, you know, this is just negative thinking. It's going to catch you make, making a lot more badness than there otherwise would be. But I disagree with that idea, because I think the only way to produce good in a world so full of evil, and I don't mind using that term, and misfortune, and downtrodden masses, is to understand what problems exist and really think about how best to solve them both of which are processes that can't be done without realizing all of how terrible the world really is. Because if you think the world is great and the terribility is only an outlier, then you'll focus on the good, and when something bad happens, you'll be taken off guard. But if you're always focused on preventing the bad on solving the problems that need to be solved now instead of letting them get worse and make, consequently, everything around them worse, then a necessary first step is to always be focusing on those bad things. 
And I have sort of an analogy to this because my grandmother used to pick up uh, trash on the side of the uh, highway um, for, for, for Caltrans. And, you know, now that I know that that's a statist organization, I sort of, you know, hate the fact that I once participated in the cleanups anyway. But, you know, beyond that specifically, there's a certain realization that I had when I was working at Jack in the Box and when I was looking at, um, you know, basically municipal life, because I grew up sort of in the sticks, um, the the house that I had was on a dirt road for most of my life uh, growing up. And the realization that I had was that the people littering aren't the ones who throw a Big Mac wrapper out their truck window uh, on their way to the construction site. They're not the people who chuck their cigarette butts out uh, out, out of their, their fucking passenger door uh, on the pavement. Those people, sure, they contribute a very, very small amount of bad to the, to the world. But those people uh, aren't the primary contributors in any real sense. The primary contributors to the littering problem are the same sorts of people that we would turn to for our goods and services. And my analogy and sort of, I guess, thought lesson as well goes sort of like this. Like, if you pick up one piece of trash in an area and then someone's poorly packed trash gets indiscriminately dropped everywhere by one of those, quote, waste management trucks, especially in a corporation's back alley. How much did you improve the world? I'd argue none. And that may seem harsh. You may say, I improved that square foot. Isn't that something? Well, not really. Like, not in the grand scheme of things, and certainly not in a moment when some corporation's trash takes the place of the piece you just picked up. The thought is nice, but the action doesn't really mean shit, and it takes energy that could be used for other tasks. Which brings me to my next point. Like, when I say you can make the world better than it could be, it means essentially this. If you handle your trash better, it won't blow everywhere. If you package it better, you know, if if you live with less and stop impulse buying on Amazon so you'll make less of it to begin with. The, the, the point isn't that you have no impact on the world, although that's the impression I think some people got and get when I talk about this kind of shit. It's that you have... You, you have one shot on this planet. And the only way to make it count is realizing that it's all on a downhill. And unless you're one of the people making new types of brakes or a way to fly or something, you won't have made things any better in the long run. And you are making things worse right now by not addressing the problems. Making exceptions, being tolerant, letting shit slide. All of that is what got us here. Like, I worked at Jack in the Box, and the bags they used were so thin. And 
I would throw a bag in there and it would like, you know, it would, it would show clear invisible signs of stress. Um, but I would still throw it in there. And sometimes I was out there during one of the windstorms that would blow through the area and a big ass waste collection truck, you know, the, the dump dumpster trucks, the ones that go through with the big forks and, Deal with all of the civilization's detritus and shit that flies out of our fucking bodies, you know, would come around and it would lift it up. And the smell is something that would already make me sort of distasteful to it. Because when you're downwind from that shit and you can smell the acrid rotting stench and you know that it's getting carted off to some place so that it can make that place worse... And, you know, so that people don't have to think about how terrible it is. It, it, it you know, it gets to you. But, like, realizing a few times that these bags, a lot of them were ripped, you know, or, or like, there was just some trash that some dude or, you know, chick had thrown in the dumpster that was loose entirely would cause a lot of the time just a bunch of this shit to fly goddamn everywhere. And, you know, it's disheartening because first off, you know, some minimum wage person like me would have to go clean up the, 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 the parking lot, like, not too soon after that because, like, Jack in the Box still doesn't want their place to look like a dump even though they're fucking... Well, I won't put too much of my bias against them in this uh, particular show. I could probably go on for hours, but the essential idea is that they don't want their place to look like a dump, even though the effect that their poor management had and the poor management of a ton of other people have is to make the entire world look like a dump. I mean, just like find an overpass somewhere that doesn't have at least one piece of garbage in or near it. Like, I sort of challenge you. You know, there's no prize money because, frankly, there's a good likelihood I'm sort of full of shit on this one and that there's probably, like, 200 overpasses without, like, a single piece of garbage within a square mile of them. But I don't know. I I doubt it. Um, But, like, you know... You can improve something and have it be disimproved immediately. Have it be made worse than it was uh, before you got to it. And that isn't to say, you know, don't try. Because if that was my attitude, I would have given up on anarchism. I, I, I have a very short life to live. But the idea should be to realize how bad everything is so that you can then make things possibly better by not doing what everybody else does, not following the herd, trying to have a better life yourself so that you make other people's lives less worse. And, you know, there are a variety of ways you can do that. You can you can package your trash better. You can uh, invent something to package your trash uh, and then sell that to a bunch of other people, or just give it to those people, um, 
so that they can all have this wonderful invention that that'll make the world uh, easier to manage. And you know, the impact you can have on the world does exist, and it can be a positive one. But you got to be reasonable. You got to say, if I want to have a positive impact, if I want my impact to be something worthy of note, it has to last beyond my death. It has to be something that I contributed to society so that I'm not a negative. Because, let's face it, most people are negatives right now. And the fact that corporate and government America allows them to be negatives is the problem. The fact that there's this giant tolerance culture which says you can do whatever you want, you can be, you know, however vulgar you want in public, you can, you know, uh, have whatever kind of financial life you want because there's a safety net. You can do uh, any and all of this uh, for as long as you decide you want to because to insist otherwise would be... Uh, privileged or triggering or something like that or you know the opposite where the entire like u.s economy trended toward the idea of pay it later like basically ponzi schemes uh the federal reserve social security ponzi schemes giant debt farming ponzi schemes that promise your children's labor to you and nobody considers how fucked up this is because, hey, I got paid. I got my Federal Reserve notes. Don't shit on my paycheck. You know, shit like that. Entitled kids these days can't handle just paying a little bit because the greatest generation needs some sort of protection now that they're old and dying. It, ridiculous. So my idea is that maybe if we were harder on people and said, yeah, you know what? I have to pay your social security, but it doesn't mean I have to kiss your ass for it. You get your money. You get your money you know, every month, even though you're not paying into the system anymore, even though the, the money that I pay into the system now will be heavily devalued by the time uh, I'm, I'm fucking old enough to collect, even if the system has hasn't collapsed by then even if social security has gone bankrupt which it fucking will someday um you know the the amount of money that i have in my account right now will mean less if i save it up because of fucking quantitative easing you know it's it's this idea that there are certain things you shouldn't say and certain ways you shouldn't say them that i think hurts the world we we have so much potential to do and be good. But most people just strive for the bottom because that's what their government schools fucking told them to do. They say, you know, like, I, the, the career classes that they, that they send kids into, the, just fill out an application for, 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 for McDonald's, Burger King, you know, Fill out an application for your local loan management uh, office. You know, say you've got great references from the lawn mowing job you did. Never strive for anything higher than that because all of these fancy careers that these colleges promise you, that's only so that you'll be in debt to them forever. 
Uh, most of those fields are very hard to break into. So you end up with a generation of kids that's like disenfranchised because they were told when they were growing up they could be whatever they wanted to be, and they were tolerated, and they were taught tolerance, and then um, they get into the real world, and it's really hard to tolerate it when you realize that your entire childhood was gypped. And so this this is what I meant by ranting. My point is, like, all of these things are things that could be dealt with very early on. All of these things are things that could be handled by just realizing how terrible things were. Oh, Social Security is eventually going to collapse under its own weight, especially since a bunch of politicians are pulling from it like it's a slush fund? Um, yeah, that's going to fail someday. Maybe we should just pull the plug and find a way to deal with the aftermath. The, the debt is skyrocketing. It's near $20, er, $20 trillion. Fuck, it's late. Uh, maybe we should find a way to default and say, hey, these government promises, they weren't on the civilians. Please don't come shoot us. Because that's that's what's going to eventually happen. They're, they're going to come home to roost. And, and a lot of people are going to die if there's not some sort of peace accord reached where people are like, yeah, you know what? Th those things were bad decisions the government made. Let's not lump everyone together, why don't we? But, you know, I, I sort of extremely digress. The idea is that a lot of these things are things that we just take as assumptions. But it's very easy to fix a lot of these problems before they even start, just by being coldly rational, asking a few of the, the questions that make people uncomfortable. Like... For instance, like, I'm an anarchist, um, and for those of you who don't know me, you can find me on my Twitter at Insanity is Free, uh, and everywhere else by the same name, and usually I'll have links to my other shit, uh, elsewhere in, in my bio somewhere or something, but when I was getting started in anarchy, there were a few really prominent people that sort of swayed my thinking. There were, like, uh, Christopher Cantwell, Josie Wales, Tony Bones, um, Pete Ayer, uh, Jeffrey Tucker, uh, and Larkin Rose. And one of the first things that made anarchy an easy choice was realizing that government relies on good people making ethical exceptions for government actions. And when I was transitioning from statist to anarchist, from my libertarian party, like, uh, but Ron Paul supporting days, like, a little after Ron Paul got the shaft at the RNC and I realized that the entire system was pretty much fucked, um, one of the key figures influencing that decision was Larkin Rose, a uh, man who you should refer to for a lot of great info on how to break away from government-worshipping mentalities. And he has a series of five questions uh, that are designed to put the government on trial. And those questions consist of, of basic ethical 
uh, principles, the first ideas that any logical argument for the government's actions would need to surmount. And those things are things like the first question, for like, is there any means by which any number of individuals can delegate to someone else the moral right to do something which none of the individuals have the moral right to do themselves? Do Second question is, do those who wield political power, presidents, legislators, etc., have the moral right to do things which other people do not have the moral right to do? If so, from whom and how did they acquire such a right? Three, is there any process, e.g. constitutions, elections, legislation, by which human beings can transform an immoral act into a moral act without changing the act itself? Question four is, when lawmakers and law enforcers use coercion and force in the name of law and government, do they bear the same responsibility for their actions that anyone else who did the same thing on his own would? When And question five is, when there is a conflict between an individual's own moral conscience and the commands of a political authority, is the individual morally obligated to do what he personally views as wrong in order to obey the law? That and the understanding from organizations like Coplock that the law is inseparable from its enforcers, you know, and like Lysander Spooner's No Treason, the Constitution of No Authority, where he basically, he says, you know, the two are pretty much interconnected and you can't separate the actions of a government from the ethical precepts which those actions rely upon. And my basic, like, reason for saying this is these are some questions that will make anybody who's well-invested in the government extremely uncomfortable. But if these questions are asked, I believe that they would very firmly... Uh, push anyone who has a fiber of rationality in them to at least consider anarchism. And that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. They're, they're harsh. They don't pull punches. They say, essentially, that being in the right group doesn't make anything you do any more or less ethical than doing it on an individual level. And that gets a lot of people thinking. It gets them thinking along the lines of, hey, you know what? Maybe the reason I get so upset when a cop is following me is because I know he's going to threaten me. You know? Maybe the reason I get so upset when I'm taxed is that if I did the same thing, I'd be called a robber. Maybe, you know, all of these societal rules that rely on our silent complacence would be much better off if we had a little bit more rage in our diets. And I think that if people started thinking more on those terms, understanding that being angry at this shit is not only okay, but the rational decision, uh, that they would realize that they've been lied to and manipulated and used by people in power who would rather that they just shut the fuck up and eat their salad. And that's what I'm going to talk about on this show every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
And now I'm just running a little over my time for the uh, start of the news segment, so let's get that fired up. And to lead into the show in various segments, I'll be using music from uh, lesser-known people or people who want their uh, content proliferated. And uh, the initial song that you heard was Doe Volt's God of Himself from Union of Opposites, and it'll be what I play us out with today. But uh, here is a track to play us into the news section uh, from Dope Stars Incorporated, Banksters, Shoot the Banksters. Get ready for the news. little song to get you into the news segment. The first segment I'll be doing in my news segments is a recap of the death tolls as reported by antiwar.com in various conflicts overseas. Uh, I live in America, so I'll be speaking from an America-centric perspective. So just know that when I talk of something that's going on overseas, what I mean is 
over the Atlantic or the Pacific. And what I'll be doing for this segment is I'll be reading headlines from antiwar.com and including links uh, where the recording is kept so that you can read the full articles and get your blood boiling even further if you want to. So, since last Wednesday, militants attacked an army outpost and 175 were killed in Iraq. 288 people were killed in Iraq, most in simultaneous military operations. Scores of militants killed in military operations, 285 killed in Iraq. And Mosul's wounded show up in Kurdish hospitals, 85 killed in Iraq. Now, something to remember that will also do a good part to get you angry if you're paying attention is that the U.S. government's involvement in any of these sorts of conflicts is only the result of trying to manage resource control to keep the failed Federal Reserve note uh, circulating through the global economy and exporting out of the U.S. so that a bunch of it doesn't flow back in after the world realized that they didn't want fiat paper. So most of these deaths are easily preventable, and most of these populations could be benefited, especially Iraq, by a drawdown of U.S. troops uh, in and around the nation. But this is what price we pay for entrusting the U.S. government and its allies to stabilize regions is a regular stream of blood and death. Of course, it's well known that central powers deciding who to arm and who to overthrow is great for preventing injury and loss. So do your patriotic duty and send a care package or two, would you? In related news, the war hits home. In a cop block piece, a New York SWAT team executes war vet's dog just days before Christmas. I'll read the first four paragraphs out of this uh, article here, and a link will be included wherever this is stored. A Bloody Christmas. This is how police treat our veterans. After serving 37 years in the military, one would think that Gary Alho was entitled to spend a quiet Christmas with his family and his beloved best friend, an eight-year-old male German shepherd whom Alho had owned since he was a pup. The dog had been given to him as a present by his son and was appropriately named Sarge. Fergury himself had achieved the esteemed rank of Sergeant First Class, and one would think that this country would give back the so-called freedoms Alho had fought for by allowing him the comforts and enjoyments of his own family and home this holiday season. If one thought that, however, one would be wrong. In the early morning hours on December 21, 2016, the Buffalo Police Narcotics Unit stormed Alho's Ullman Street residence by way of a flashbang, taking the brave sergeant and his animal by surprise. Sarge, usually a very friendly and social German shepherd, cowered in the corner at the sudden attack. Alho initially thought that he was being invaded and was set to call the police. It turned out that his instincts were half right. 
And again, if one thought the police would show mercy on what they perceived to be an enemy combatant cowering in the corner, one would also be mistaken. A Buffalo police officer, name unknown at this point, blew up Sarge while Gary laid helpless on the floor with a jackbooted cop standing over him holding him down. The mirage of freedom that Alho had fought for 37 years was shattered by a way of gunshots from agents of his own government to his best friend's head. This wasn't friendly fire. This was the purposeful execution of a companion animal. You can read more of that article at copblock.org. And this, by the way, comes on the heels of a decision that basically says any dog that barks or, you know, moves vaguely in the direction of the officer is liable to be killed and legally. Uh, the the officer can claim it was a threat, and keep in mind this w- this is still in an environment where uh, killing a police dog is considered killing an officer, and can end you with you know fucking life in prison. So welcome to USA, in case you're new here. And in other news from Cop Block, a man was ticketed for helping his neighbors out by plowing the snow from in front of their houses. The article says, No good deed goes unpunished when someone who's just doing their job has something to say about it. After a Christmas storm dropped a bunch of snow on Poticello, Idaho, Mitch Fisher went out and did the neighborly thing by using his ATV to plow the snow from the streets around his neighborhood, where according to him, most of the residents are elderly people that are unable to deal with the snow themselves. Unfortunately, as he was in the process of doing so, a local revenue collector happened upon his act of kindness and decided he needed to be extorted a little bit. Apparently, Fisher had made a pile with the snow that had been plowed in front of his own house, in spite of the fact that the reason the pile was there was because he had moved all of the snow out of everyone else's way that violated the letter of a law written within the city codes of Poticello, and for that he had to be punished regardless of the circumstances involved. It's obviously a good thing that a brave hero in blue was there to step in and protect those people from a friendly neighbor helping to make their streets safer during winter. There's more in the article and you can read it there if you like. And in the last bit of cop block news, Oregon cop ran red light hitting a truck and pedestrian before crashing into a donut shop. Corporal Robert Emerson of the Bend, Oregon Police Department was apparently in such a rush to get his daily sugar rush that he sped through a red light, smashed into a truck, hit a pedestrian, and then crashed right into the donut shop. According to Bend Chief of Police Jim Porter, though, this was just one mistake with an otherwise exemplary career for Emerson, so he seems to have gotten a handle on his cravings. Yeah, the jokes kind of write themselves on this one. So, when they're not shooting dogs or crashing into donut shops, they're fining people for making the road safer. The USA is a fantastic and free nation, and anyone who disagrees is ungrateful. And now for the final news segment to possibly lift your spirits or possibly make you a little more angry. Epic Troll. 4chan users claim CIA and media fell for Trump golden shower fake news. This is from thefreethoughtproject.com. 
and you can see the full article there. But uh, I'll read the first couple paragraphs. Defying all reason and journalistic duty, BuzzFeed may have now topped the Washington Post in the quickly burgeoning fake news market, publishing accusations President-elect Donald Trump has deep ties to Russia. But the astoundingly baseless claim seems to have unraveled in the most hilarious way possible. Quote, a dossier compiled by a person who is claimed to be a former British intelligence official alleges Russia has compromising information on Trump. The allegations are unverified, and the report contains errors, the collaborative BuzzFeed article asserts. Duly noting the dubious quality of the information presented, BuzzFeed chose to publish the threadbare dossier sans any evidence of its legitimacy, and the rush to perhaps damn Trump before the upcoming inauguration has tentatively been discredited by one of the most unlikely sources, 4chan. First, ZeroHedge noted the, of the contents of the original dossier. For those pressed for time, here is the best as in most laughable part. Discussing Trump's personal obsession and sexual perversions in which we learned that when staying at the Ritz-Carlton Moscow Hotel in order to defile a bed in which Obama had stayed previously, he employed a number of prostitutes to perform golden showers in front of him. Good stuff. Indeed, while that description alone appeared so specious as to disqualify the contents, the assessments nonetheless gained approval from BuzzFeed editor-in-chief Ben Smith, who defended the choice to publish prior to investigation in a memo to staff, subsequently posting to Twitter, quote, Our presumption is to be transparent in our journalism and to share what we have with our readers. And we have always erred on the side of publishing. In this case, the document was in wide circulation in the highest levels of American government and media. Yeah, horse shit. Total horse shit. And keep in mind that this is the same group of people that tells you that you don't know how to tell what fake news is. Well, just remember, the narrative is under control, and the only way to break yourself out of it is to understand who controls it, how bad the system really is, and make the future better than it could be. This is Jeremiah Harding signing off. Until next Wednesday, this has been Moment of Rage with Jeremiah Harding. Jeremiah Harding.